Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show by Silker Joe Show. Co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while he is on assignment. Don't worry, he'll be with you later this week. But if he were here with us today, he would give to you his mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our first and second amendment rights. The Alan Nathan Show is a Main Street Radio Network production, so we want to thank the Main Street Radio Network for allowing this program to exist. You know, management and uh, the program, sometimes we disagree about the content, and certainly some of the uh, clients of the Main Street Radio Network are disagreeing with the content, but they have our backs, and we appreciate that. That is, the Main Street Radio Network does. Not sure about those clients, though. Hmm. Anyway, we also want to thank the Salem Radio Network for distributing this show. Main Street Radio Network can be found at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. You can also find them on Twitter at Main Street Radio. You can find them on Facebook, Main Street Radio Network. And as for the Alan Nathan Show, well, you can listen to this show online anywhere you care to. You can listen to, you can go to AlanNathan.com. You can go to Twitter at Alan Nathan, get updates on the show. If you want updates on the Silker Joe Show because you decide that I did a good job guest hosting, well, then you can just go on over to Getter, G-E-D-T-R.com, at Silker Joe Show. That is G-E-T-T-R. I don't think I enunciated the first T very well. Anyway, at this point, Alan would read to you his pre-written topics, and I have them right in front of me. That is ones that I wrote. Obviously, Alan being on assignment means he didn't write these. District Attorney Bragg says armed robbery is a misdemeanor, downgraded over 52% of felony cases to misdemeanors, and only one convictions in 29% of misdemeanor cases. How can his indictment of Trump over misdemeanors be anything but political? Also, from making political re-education mandatory to enforcing gun-free zones that attract shooters, why are Democrats trashing our schools from behind armed guards? Joining us now to talk about that second topic, we have Mike Watson. He is Research Director for Capital Research Center and serves as the Managing Editor for Influence Watch. Mike Watson, happy to have you on the Alan Nathan Show today. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. All right. So your group, they've uh, uncovered the Southern Poverty Law Center. They have a lesson plan that they're issuing to schools. And now for listeners not familiar with the SPLC, basically, if Democrats want to call someone racist, they'll just cite the SPLC or, you know, say, hey, call these people racist so we can cite you. You know, it's one of those institutions, one of those uh, experts you go to to confirm your own bias. Is that about right? Yeah, that's a that's a fair uh a, a, a fair characterization of the SPLC. Um, you know, they, your your listeners might know about them uh, for their they're best known for their uh, I think they call it the hate map that you know shows you where all the supposed hate groups are, and you know, in addition to a bunch of you know legitimate uh, extremist groups, you know, they'll also have. Oh, this group, uh, you know, like the Family Research Council opposes same-sex marriage and opposes certain uh, LGBT interests. So they're also a hate group, according to the SPLC. Um, mm-hmm. And now they're creating lessons for our schools. Yeah, they have uh, this Learning for Justice uh, program, and... It focuses on these, uh, you know, it, it offers lessons plan, lesson plans uh, that teachers can use when discussing current events and similar uh, similar issues. Yeah, and teaches kids stuff like uh, online activism, hashtag campaigns, and there's one program titled The Color of Law, Developing the White Middle Class, According to your report, or the, your that is your nation's organization's reporting, attempts to debunk the myth of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps in the American dream. Uh, basically, it's telling kids, hey, if you're not don't have everything in life handed to you, don't bother working for it because it won't be handed to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it's an opportunity, yet another opportunity by an organized uh, left wing group to get uh, left wing premises established as part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. 
and this is rather dangerous for the kids' education already, we're seeing actually, in fact, thanks to people on the left, we're seeing reading comprehension, math competency, all that is dropping across all demographic groups to the point where in some districts they decide that it's racist to even expect anyone to know math to graduate. That's the state of Oregon Department of Education decided that. I and mean, so the solution seems to be, let's have these lesson plans saying, well, guess what? You don't need to learn it because there's no point in working. It's a white thing. Well, I mean, it seems like the only thing worse than having public schools was not having public schools for two years uh, when they were closed. And, uh, you know, we we did the quote unquote virtual learning and the you know, teachers' unions were setting up all these roadblocks to actually getting kids back into schools. Uh, and, you know, surprise, surprise, we've had all these, uh, we've had all this learning loss. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems that they're out there to compound it by, instead of teaching, trying to make up for the learning loss, you just teach them digital activism remixed, ha- hashtags for voice, visibility, and visions of social justice. That's the title of one of their lesson plans. I'm pretty sure the kids know how to use a hashtag more than even the SPLC people who created that program for them. <laughs> yeah, we can argue about whether that's a good or a bad thing, but the, the idea that, you know, again, when parents send their kids to school, they're expecting that the kids are going to learn reading, writing, mathematics, you know, and not uh, and not how to be a political advocate, and not just how to be a political advocate, but how to be a political advocate for a certain ideology. Uh, and so, I think that's why you're seeing increasing pushback uh, on uh, the use of these highly politicized curriculums in a lot of states. Mm-hmm. And the SPLC stuff, even though uh, you all reported on this March sixth. At the same time, it has been around a while. It says here in, in 2021, half a million education resources were downloaded from them and put into schools. And they also mailed out 600,000 copies of uh, this magazine, Learning for Justice, to teachers and to school districts nationwide. That's a lot. That's a lot of schools that that's going to. Yeah, I mean, it's really concerning if you believe, as I feel like a lot of parents do, that schools should not be places for political activism or political indoctrination uh, to know that a group that is as ideologically focused as the SPLC has this level of influence on the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it was a good thing in some ways that uh, we did have the uh, uh, two years of uh, homeschooling because that allowed parents to actually get an idea of what's going on in the schools and perhaps make them more interested in seeing stuff like this. Right. I mean, I've I've had... Uh, you know, when I've uh, been talking to, to people who became active in uh, school policy, you know, a lot of them say that, you know, the at-home learning, having to, to proctor their kids, uh, their kids' school during the COVID lockdowns, you know, it, it made them aware that there was more going on than they thought. And uh, I, I think it is not a coincidence that all this stuff the pushback has begun as parents had to do this and as parents became aware of what was really going on in the schools. Mm -hmm. And as much as we talk about the Southern Poverty Law Center doing this, there's definitely other left-leaning organizations out there who are at this too. It really seems that our school education systems are at a threat from this, this sort of indoctrination that, if anything, does the exact opposite of what an education is supposed to do. And, you know, getting a good education, it's supposed to make you more independent, more self-supportive. But then you have stuff like the color of law, developing the white middle class, which tries to tell you, no, you can't. There's no point to being independent and supporting yourself. I mean, it shows the commitment of the left. And it's not again, as you mentioned, it's not just the SPLC. There's the teachers unions. uh, There are other advocacy groups. But like even the teachers unions, you think. You know, even when you normally think about the teachers' unions being active in education, you know, it's just trying to get more spending. It's just trying to get more uh, salary and pensions for their members. No, it's more than that. You know, they are supporting the uh, critical race theory in schools. They're trying to push back against the pushback uh, to these ideological curriculums. So, yeah, no, it's a broad front. I can sort of understand, though, why the teachers' unions would be in on this, uh, aside from being ideologically aligned with stuff like critical race theory. 
again, it teaches that you don't have to bother learning math or reading or anything like that because life is stacked against you. If your kids don't want to learn, that seems to make the teacher's job easier. I don't know if I go that far, but there's certainly it lets you create an excuse against accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just uh, say, oh, it's uh, the teachers aren't underperforming. It's this uh, racist system. Once we end racism, we'll have better performance. It's totally toxic. Uh, Mike Watson from Capital Research Center, appreciate you being on the Al Nathan Show today. Listeners, if you want to check this out, they're reporting. It's over at capitalresearch.org, and it's titled The SPLC's Ready-Made Lessons for Teaching Radicalism in the Classroom. Definitely worth a read. And we're coming up on a break, so you can go check that out. Again, capitalresearch.org, the SPLC's Ready-Made Lessons for Teaching Radicalism in the Classroom. We do have more Alan Nathan Show coming up after this break. research released to mark the International Day of Math reveals that math is the subject most American adults say they're afraid of, but is also the subject they most want their children to be good at. So to help them support their children in building confidence with numbers, a new, fun and engaging computer game called Teach Your Monster Number Skills has hit the market. Junaid Mabeen is a math expert from Number Skills, and he says building your child's confidence from an early age is vital. Getting kids confident with numbers from a very young age is so important to their long-term success in mathematics. And the reason I use Teach Your Monster Number Skills with my own children is that it teaches them about numbers, about how creative and, and playful numbers can be. It's very fun and also educationally very powerful. You can download this great game today. Just search for Teach Your Monster Number Skills online. It's available on all desktop and mobile devices. Trust me, you won't regret it. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. 
Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today. We are joined now by Lee Williams. He is chief editor of the Second Amendment Foundation's investigative reporting project and frequent contributor to Amelan News and Armed American Radio and also known as the gun writer. And he's been writing about firearms issues for over 10 years now. Lee Williams, happy to have you on the show again. How are you today? Thank you much. Appreciate the invite. All right. So right now, Congress, Democrats in particular, they're talking about $50 million researching how to prevent gun violence, but it seems to me the easiest thing to do would be stop making schools gun-free zones because when you say that it's a gun-free zone, that just means, hey, if you want to kill a bunch of people, come over here, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's 100%. That's, uh, we could end the conversation now. No, seriously, they want to dump $50 million into more research by the CDC. Do you know what $50 million could do for schools? I mean, they could hire more armed resource officers, more guardians, improve school building security, and and fund police departments and sheriff's offices to put SROs in there. Uh, You know, here in Florida, and I'm in Sarasota, we had that horrible anti-gun Parkland bill get passed a few years ago. But the one thing good that came out of that was the school guardian program, where these are specifically guys that are there specifically to do one thing, and that's take out bad guys who come onto the property uh, intent on harming kids. They're not law enforcement. I mean, uh, SROs are great programs, but they can get drawn into discipline or teaching classes or mentoring youth. The guardians that we have here, their sole function is shooting bad guys. Uh, They've got a carbine, hard body armor, and a handgun, and that is all they literally do. We have not had one issue on a school where there's been a guardian. So that's the kind of thing we would like to see exported to the other states. And you know what? $50 million could be a good start for that program. You mentioned that the seat, they're putting this money to the CDC. To re- Why is the CDC doing it? I, I guess they declared gun control an epidemic, but it's not a disease. It's nothing to do with health issues. Like most things the government does, if you try and make sense out of it, your head will explode. Um, you know, the CDC and all, and especially groups like the ATF, they, they look which way the wind is blowing. And right now, Joe Biden is blowing a lot of hot air. So they're going to do whatever he wants. They're going to do exactly what the, the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue tells them to do. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me is why they're not... It and it, they're, why they'd rather talk about it and study it than fix it. I mean, that, that raises a lot of questions in my mind, and none of them are good. You know, mm-hmm. let's solve the problem. Uh, let's, let's get an armed person, an armed, trained professional in every school. And this problem is going to stop because, like you said in your intro, man, I mean, gun-free zones, I've always said, are magnets for mayhem. Yeah, but the left, uh, the typical reaction I hear to making schools harder is they don't want guns anywhere near their schools. And it's like admitting that we have a problem by doing something to solve it instead of simply just taking guns away from everybody. And if you look at the statistics on it, that means they want, uh, what, tens of millions of people to lose their guns just because 20 can't figure out how to use them properly. Yeah, they want the guns out of my safe, which is nowhere near the National Christian School. You know, this this is pipe dreams on their mind. There's, what, 100 million gun owners? Uh, Washington Post just came out with a story. One in 20 people owns an AR. Do they think we're all just going to, you know, magically give them up? How do they they want to take them from us? That's, That's never going to happen. And, you know, I know Joe has has issues functioning, but every time he talks about his assault weapon ban, I mean, that we've tried that before. It simply did not work. The Justice Department, the Rand Corporation, and several private other groups studied the, the Congress's assault weapon ban, the first one, which I call the Clinton gun ban, which ran from 94 to 04. It, it did nothing except raise the price of some modern sporting rifles. Mm-hmm. And and anyone who says that it did otherwise, it's like they're taking into account that 
at that time, there was a slight decrease on gun crimes and crime in general in the country anyway. So it's like yeah. there was writing on the heels of that that this came out. So what the, what is it called, like the observer effect or something, where you just uh, only focus on what you want to focus on and ignore the broader picture? Well, it's just like everything the government does, especially with the stats. They're, ma- they're juking them. Uh, look at the CDC, and right now you have some uh, anti-gun groups, uh, members of the gun ban industry, saying that gun, guns are the number one death for children. But if you look, look and drill down into the CDC data, like uh, my good friend A.W.R. Hawkins found, if you remove 18, 19, and 20-year-olds from that data, you'll see it's not the, the number one cause of death. It's vehicles, vehicle accidents. So they want the CDC. They like the stamp of the CDC on their data. They want to give them money for a boondoggle so they can gin up some stats. It shouldn't work like that when kids are at risk, okay? If they want to fund the schools, districts across the country, the private, the public schools, the religious schools, and get a, a trained professional shooter in every one of those buildings and then play with the data, that's fine. But we've got kids at risk, man, right now today. And that needs to be taken care of before anything else happens. Yeah, their priorities seem rather twisted on that. Uh, for example, like I mentioned, they they oppose making schools harder targets. They oppose metal detectors. They oppose yeah. uh, uh, armed guards at the schools. Meanwhile, when it comes to their own safety, they have no problem with armed guards and metal detectors at the Capitol. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, another portion of this that could go a long way to solving this problem is, in my humble opinion, constitutional carry. You would have parents outside who could see a bad guy approaching, who could take action. You could have people inside these buildings who could take action, armed, you know, well-trained people. Uh, I know here in Florida, we just became, as of yesterday, the 26th state to allow residents here to carry a concealed firearm without a permission slip from the government. We're kind of proud of that. We are the majority state. Now, a majority of states give their residents that same uh, uh, right, uh, you know, unabated by the government. That right there, man, could help a lot of these gun-free zones, especially schools. Mm-hmm. And again, just pointing out that people pick these as targets because... The, you know, what's going through the shooter's head? Well, the Nashville shooter was a different case. They uh, actually hated the school that they were going to, but I doubt they would have gotten, they would have tried it if there had been someone armed there. But with a lot of these shooters, you know, how, do, how what's the best way to get my manifesto out there, get my name out there, yeah. just pick off a bunch of unarmed targets? Well, what's the best place for that? A gun-free zone. Well, and that's why I love the Guardian program so much, and I'm so high on that, because they don't have the typical SRO duties. They're standing out in front of the building in the morning when the kids are being dropped off with their hard body armor and their carbine and their handgun. And then they're there in the afternoon when the kids are being picked up. They are very visible. And that right there has probably saved lives, just their visibility. Mm -hmm. And another effect that might have is also perhaps lessen a little bit the general stigma about gun ownership and stuff, because you see these guys there every day as a kid, you're going to become kind of numb to the fact that there's those firearms there. Yeah, and they're good people. They're good mentors for kids, too. The ones I know are mostly combat vets. Mm -hmm. So it's really beneficial all around, but uh, I guess that's why it's being opposed. And instead, they want to transfer money to the CDC to... I don't know, dilly-dally while more shootings happen. Lee Williams, Chief Editor of Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Reporting Project. Appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show today. Listeners, appreciate you tuning in as well. We do have more programming coming up after this break. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? 
author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Charvet Soaker Joe Show. Co host Joe filling in for Alan today while he's on assignment. So, debating which topic to get into. I got a couple of headlines I want to get into, but um, I'm going to divert a little bit from what I've been coming on through this, throughout the show to get to this. Did you know that's now a felony to be a Republican? Ten years in prison or some tune of millions of dollars, some kind of fine to that effect. I'm referring to what happened in the case against Douglas Mackey. 
Now, arguably, the actual crime he committed was to encourage Hillary Clinton voters to vote via text message. So for those of you unfamiliar with the situation back in 2016, yeah, he sent out this uh, you know, uh, image where it showed some uh, black chick that looked kind of like Michelle Obama. And it said, hey, Hillary Clinton voters vote via text message. And if anyone was gullible enough to buy into that then they would usually, if they texted that number, they would get a message from the Hillary campaign saying, this is a scam, go vote. So that, technically that could be a, a crime. But when you read the case against him, it turns out they think that influencing Democrats to either not vote or to vote Republican is the crime. See, he did more than just tell people to vote by texting their vote to a special number. He and some friends were wondering how to sow division amongst Democrats. Perfectly legal activity the Democrats do against Republicans daily is tune into MSNBC and watch one of the fake Republican experts to see that. But it's okay when the left does it. It's a felony when these people do it, though. And here's the first catch. This criminalizes influencing people to vote a certain way or not vote at all and shows only Republicans will be prosecuted. If the standard is that you spread whatever information the court deems to be false, well, there goes the election right there. All opposition candidates can be prosecuted under this now. <laughs> and according to polls, an alarming number of Democrats agree with this idea. According to what I've seen in online comment sections, an alarming number of Democrats agree with this idea. Now, there's the second catch, though. A Democrat did this exact same thing at that exact time. Right now, she's on a comedy tour. Democrat Christina Wong told Trump supporters to vote by text. Again, this was over Twitter, just like uh, Douglas Mackey over Twitter sent out the message, hey, Republican supporters, vote by text. And Douglas Mackey said, hey, Democrat supporters, vote by text. Same time, same crime. And the Republican is facing 10 years in prison. The Democrat is on a comedy tour and no, no one had any problem with that. Now, you see the issue with our justice system. <laughs> so where are those good people in the Department of Justice? We're told not to paint groups with blanket terms, but how can we not when the group acts as one? Where are the good guys? At the very least, this Democrat, Christina Wong, to be facing 10 years in prison for doing what that Republican did. How can we say we have equal justice when you have such an open case of there being no equal justice in this country? One guy does something. One guy does the same thing. Only one of them gets prosecuted because of how they of their politics. That's what the only deciding factor was as to whether or not someone would be prosecuted for this crime. How can you say we have equal justice? It's a dead concept. Democrats run our legal system now, and their idea of justice is to bend and break every law possible to arrest political dissidents. The message is clear. Join them or else. Can you afford to face their wrath? We're seeing that with the Trump indictment right now, and as point of fact. That district attorney who's prosecuting Trump, Alvin Bragg, he campaigned on being soft on crime except when it came to Trump, in which case he'd bring the full weight of the prosecution's office against Trump. Democrats lapped that up like it was sweet milk. They voted for that person. He won handily. There was no disputing that this is what Democrats wanted. They wanted a prosecutor who would let everyone except Trump go, and that's exactly what they got. This prosecutor does not think armed robbery should be a felony. He thinks it should be a misdemeanor. He thinks someone coming into your place of business, putting a gun in your face, finger on the trigger, ready to end your life right there. He thinks that's a misdemeanor. This is the same Democrat Party. Like we said in the last segment, they're advocating for gun control. They're using every excuse they can to advocate for gun control. Yet here they are saying, well, it's actually a misdemeanor if someone misuses a gun. <laughs> Meanwhile, that same prosecutor who believes that, He's going after Trump with everything he's got. Somehow dug up 30 charges against Trump and was initially trying to get him on the, the hush money to Stormy Daniels or whatever. I guess he couldn't do that, so he found 30 other things to come after him with, which, you know, that is some of those, as an aside, some of those might actually be legitimate because, well, uh, as early as 2015, each of us commits three felonies per day. You, me, your friend sitting next to you listening, any of us, three felonies per day as of 2015. So if you want to selectively prosecute someone, you can do that. That's how our system works now. We have so many laws. No one can keep track of them. You can, and everyone is committing a crime all the time. So that's what they're going after Trump with. They just found 30 such instances, probably, I don't know, if we each commit three felonies per day, all they had to wait was 10 days and then come after him with 30 charges. So 
that it's very easy to politically prosecute someone in this country, and Democrats are fully weaponizing it, taking full advantage of that fact. And this is a message to not just to Trump, but to you, the average voter. You see what they're doing to Trump. They can do that to you. They're willing to forgive people who put guns in people's faces, but they're not willing to forgive you for voting against their interests. If you, for example, decided, hey, maybe I don't want a prosecutor who uh, thinks that putting a gun in my face is a, is a misdemeanor. Maybe I want a prosecutor who might actually be tough on people who do that. Well, guess what? You're part of the problem. They're going to unleash this full weight of the law that they're putting on Trump on you next because you don't agree with them. That's it. And these Democrats, you know, they say, oh, well, we uh, are only going after Trump because he's such a bad person. He does all these bad things. But then look at what they let people get away with. The, the, the same Democrats who are out there saying we should ban guns, ban all types of guns, are the ones who are saying, well, it's OK, actually, if you put a gun in someone's face and tell them to hand over your money. That, that's no problem. It's a, the only problem is uh, when you're a Demo when you're a rub hugging. That's the only legal problem here. So how can we really trust them when they say it's okay to have policy disagreements when they think being a Republican is worse than putting a gun in someone's face? And we keep seeing this with them, too. You know, anytime you have a policy disagreement with them, it's like the, – the, and you claim censorship or that they're doing an ad hominem attack. What's their response? Well, it's okay if you disagree with us on things like uh, how tax dollars are spent, how high taxes are, which government programs are needed. Uh, but if you actually do disagree with them on that – then you get called every name in the book. They just defend themselves by pretending to be reasonable, but the moment that you, well, actually they defend themselves amongst each other and amongst perhaps independents by pretending to be reasonable, but the moment you question them, suddenly you're the problem, you're the bigot, you're the racist, you're inciting violence, shut up or we're going to send Alvin Bragg and other people like him after you to put you in prison for daring to oppose us. That's how they operate. <laughs> It seems that they get away with it, I guess, because, well, they have they seem to have the law on their side. You know, as I mentioned, the case of Douglas Mackey versus the case of Christina Wong. Douglas Mackey is facing 10 years in prison, multi-million dollar fines, whereas Christina Wong did the exact same thing. She's doing a comedy tour right now. People love her. Democrats do anyway. I don't. So that's the sign of system that we're agreeing with. That's the kind of people who are in our justice system right now. It's a very alarming thing to know that we don't have equal justice under the law in this country. That's sort of kind of the basis of any civil society, that you have equal justice under the law. What the hell are we, Russia? Because <laughs> And are we going, are in danger of becoming even more like Russia? Because in Russia, the citizens are rather numb to this idea that the government can be corrupt. They're rather numb to this idea that there's not going to be equal justice under the law. That's why they don't really care to do anything about it. The whole concept of that, of doing, of fighting corruption is foreign. They kind of know that if anyone's fighting corruption, it's because they themselves are corrupt or hiding something. There's no altruism in government. Now, granted, that actually is very much true. We see that in our own government. But do we want to be like Russia, where we just accept it as daily life? Democrats seem to. They, Like I said, they voted for someone who, who, who believed in that. They voted for someone who thinks that political prosecutions trump actual prosecutions of real crimes, that sending everything you have after a Republican who committed a misdemeanor is is good, whereas letting and also letting felons out is good. You know, this guy, he's a real piece of work with how he treats felons. He has downgraded over 52 percent of felony cases to misdemeanors. And of those misdemeanor cases, he's only won 29% of misdemeanor cases. So that means a sizable chunk of the felon population in his district are now back out on the street ready to commit more felonies. In fact, that happened with an armed robber who this man released. This armed robber had 36 other crimes previously against him. Alvin Bragg was like, oh, you're a stand-up guy. I'll let you. You're certainly not Trump, so I'm going to let you out because you're obviously a good guy because your last name isn't Trump. And this armed robber who Alvin Bragg released decided to go and beat up a woman. So you have gun control and feminism on the line in this case. And what do Democrats do? They praise this man whose criminal prosecutions have led to setbacks in gun control and feminism. More women are threatened. More guns are in the streets because of this Democrat. They don't care. Democrats do not care that this guy is working against what they claim are their interests because he plans to get Trump. And that's all that they need to know about him to make him a good guy. Is it, 
can we really say we have equal justice in our country when you have people who are just so political? In fact, when you have an entire political party and their voters who are just so political that it blinds them to the realities around them? I don't think so. Folks, we got more Alan Nathan show coming up after this break, so stick with us. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat. Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. 
and access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Thank you for staying with us through this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. Silk or Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today. We are joined now by Phil Kirpin. He is president of American Commitment and um, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, a contributor to Fox News Opinion, chairman of the Internet Freedom Coalition, and author of the book, Democracy Denied. Phil Kirpin, always happy to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing fine. Thank you. Um, certainly because I was not part of our uh, school system when COVID happened. I understand you've been doing some research as to exactly the damage is done. In fact, you have an op-ed over at the New York Post about it. Yeah, we uh, we did a little bit of a uh, rundown of what we know now, which is basically everything that we predicted would happen has happened. It's been a, a catastrophic impact on our on our kids uh educationally social emotionally and of course uh, economically if they're not able to catch up uh, they're going to have substantial reduced lifetime earnings from having less education and uh, of course that has health consequences as well because income and uh, life expectancy are closely linked and so uh and probably the most disturbing thing i don't know if you saw this i think we mentioned in the article but there was a study recently that stanford and the associated press did there are about 250,000 kids in the united states whose whose uh, whereabouts are now completely unknown they dropped out of the public schools they've not switched to private schools or homeschooling nobody knows where they are or what they're doing and uh, that's a pretty disturbing uh that's a pretty disturbing number, a quarter million kids, whereabouts unknown, and, you know, they're gonna, they could show up uh, in tragic ways, committing crimes or, or uh, showing up dead, drugs, who, who knows. But uh, we've got enormous uh, negative consequences, and, of course, it was for nothing. It was for literally nothing because about 100% of kids got COVID anyway, and almost all of them were fine with it, by the way. They, they uh, got over it with, with, you know, no serious issues uh, in almost all cases. So it was a really catastrophic policy error. And I think ultimately it's going to become known as the worst error of the entire pandemic response. Unfortunately, I doubt the people who advocated it will learn from it. In fact, some of them who I've talked to have outright said that the lockdowns only didn't work because we didn't do it properly. People kept disobeying them. Otherwise, they would have worked better. But yeah, true true lockdown has never been tried, right? It's, right. Like, uh, it's like socialism. Um yeah, I mean, unfortunately, some people refuse to learn lessons. But, you know, I'll tell you, we had um, obviously we had massive, massive school closures uh, in large parts of the country in 2020 and 2021 school year. And then 2021-22 last year, uh, we had not nearly as many closures, although we still had uh, quite a few in liberal areas in particular. And by the way, the school districts that masked the kids were the most likely to close, uh, which wouldn't make sense if you thought the masks actually stopped COVID, but does make sense when you consider that they relate to the mentality of crisis and the politics of it and everything else. Uh, this year, 2022-23, we had almost zero. We had almost zero school closures. And so um, we're definitely making some progress. Um, but the concern, of course, is, you know, we had a very mild respiratory season this year what happened we get into next year or some other future year and there's a nasty flu or covid or some other virus have they learned anything or are they going to have mass closures again and i don't know the answer to that i can tell you at least in conservative areas i think there's no chance they would close but uh some of those liberal areas i could see them doing it again what, what do you want them to do admit they were wrong mm. Yeah, it's certainly not uh, something that sounds like they would do. In fact, though, I was talking with someone from the Capital Research Center earlier in this program about how some of the lesson plans that are coming out, they seem to be capitalizing on the, the lack of education and the reduction of education. Coming out outright saying the Southern Poverty Law Center, they had this lesson plan where basically it said there's no point in learning and stuff like that because you'll never advance in society anyway, at least if you're not white. 
So <laughs> telling that to kids who are now underachieving because of the COVID policies that were implemented by the same people who are now implementing lessons plan like this, it seems like an organized attempt to uneducate the kids. It's pretty disgusting. And of course, you know, Higher income kids, uh, by and large, did okay, at least educationally, because their parents were able to, you know, get them tutors or get them instruction or stay home with them, make sure they were learning the stuff. It's the middle and lower income kids that suffered the biggest losses and minority kids who suffered the biggest losses. And, uh, you know, instead of doing everything we can to catch them up, we, you know, we spent $170 billion of taxpayer money and all the various COVID money. It, it's all just going to basically raises for teachers and being wasted and flushed down toilets for the most part. I mean, they're not really using it effectively to catch the kids up. And, you know, I think that's why ultimately the big silver lining out of all of this is going to be the massive surge in school choice that we've seen at the state level. And I think we've got six states now that have passed universal school choice laws in the last year and a half. And uh, I'm hoping we'll see a lot more of them. You know, the irony, of course, is it's the more conservative states that were less likely to have the severe closures that are most likely to pass uh, the school choice legislation and are adopting things like universal education savings accounts. Um, but I'm hoping that eventually they'll they'll go national and you know, parents everywhere will be able to control the educational dollars for their kids. And if the school isn't teaching them or is, God forbid, shut down again, you'll be able to pull your money and send them to a place that actually teaches them and send them to a place where they'll actually learn. And so ultimately, I, I you know, it would be great if we could get these school systems fixed and actually teaching, you know, basic skills and catching up on the big gap from the closures. Um, but you know, failing that, uh, the best thing you can do for parents is make sure they've got control of the money so they can get their kid out of there to a place that it is teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why we're seeing a lot of opposition to stuff like this from teachers' unions because they, they see that money is rightfully theirs. And how dare you try to take money out of their pockets? Well, and how dare you make them compete? How dare you make them actually do a good job if they want kids to enroll in the schools? They like it when there's no alternative, and it doesn't matter whether they do the job or not because people have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For for the people who claim to be uh, pro-socialism and hate monopolies, it seems like they want the unions to have a monopoly on education. But like the same principle applies whether it's in the public or private sector. If you have no competition, you have no reason to do good. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, even in even in really bad schools, you have some very good teachers uh, who figure out a way to get through to kids and get the job done. And so, you know, I don't like to paint with too broad a brush, but, you know, we've got uh, really bad numbers right now, almost everywhere, which means uh, overall, on average, we're, k- kids are not learning. And, you know, it, it's hard to blame them if they were out of school for a year and then masked for another year. I mean, there's going to be huge setbacks, but, you know, we should be focusing everything on catching those kids up. And to me, uh, you're just, you're not going to get it done if the, you, if the unions have a monopoly and the kids are forced to be in the schools, whether, you know, you know, whether they, would rather be somewhere else or not, uh, you know, unless they're fortunate enough to have enough money to be able to afford to pay for a private school on top of paying all the taxes for the public school. Mm-hmm. Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, appreciate you being on the Al Nathan Show to discuss this. And listeners, if you want to read more about it, over at the New York Post, the op-ed is titled, School Closures Brought the Worst Self-Inflicted COVID Harm. Go check that out. We're done with you for this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. You can check us out, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com or on um, AlanNathan.com. That's another good website. And if you want the Silker Joe Show, you can check it out on Getter, G-E-T-T-R.com, at Silker Joe Show. Be seeing you. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.